Welcome to 49. My name is Jed Devermont. I'm the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willette. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundations and, like Judd, have served in the National Security Council at the U.S. State Department and at Senate Foreign Relations, all with a focus on U.S. policy towards Africa. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Mozambique, and we are joined by Zenaida Machado, the Angola and Mozambique researcher for Human Rights Watch, who is also a damn good Twitter follow. Nicole, you got to break it down for us. What is the short and sweet version of U.S. history, U.S. policy towards Mozambique? Okay, I'm going to try and do this justice. It's an incredibly fascinating history. So uh, I encourage everyone to read more than I can possibly do here. But before Mozambique's independence, U.S. policy towards the country was very limited. Diplomats weren't even allowed to initially talk to Black Mozambicans. And one former consul general said the State Department was a two-headed monster. While the Europe and Africa bureaus both eventually supported independence, they disagreed on timing and how much pressure to apply to Portugal to end its colonization. U.S. support for Portugal during the liberation struggle soured relations with Frelimo-led government and delayed the appointment of a U.S. ambassador until 1976, which was one year after independence. Because Frelimo was Marxist with strong Soviet ties, the U.S. Congress banned development aid. Despite these challenges, the United States worked with Mozambique on regional issues, including Rhodesia and Angola. Renowned Mozambican leader Samora Michel respected President Carter, and President Reagan and Samora got on like a house on fire, according to Reagan's Assistant Secretary of State. But there was always mutual suspicion, especially because U.S. hardliners wanted to support the Renamo rebels, who were backed by Rhodesia and then apartheid South Africa during the devastating 15-year civil war in Mozambique, which killed more than a million people. The United States played a supporting role during the Mozambican peace process, which culminated in the first multi-party elections in 1994. Afterwards, one ambassador said the relationship became about development, which he thought was, quote, boring. As the economy grew rapidly, the United States and other donors turned a blind eye to corruption, political polarization, crime, including political assassinations. The development of Mozambique's liquefied natural gas, the LNG industry, amid massive fines in that country and a related growing extremist threat in the region upended this complacency. The United States provided 1.5 billion in risk assurance for the oil companies, and it has initiated development programs and security training for Mozambican military to counter the escalating Islamic insurgency in the Cabo Delgado region. In early 2021, the group with ties to ISIS was designated as a foreign terrorist organization by the United States. So it's become a real focus now. Judd, do you want to talk about a major U.S. success or policy failure? Yeah, I think you alluded to it earlier, which is this relationship between Reagan and Samora and Michelle. It's, it's hard to imagine now, but President Reagan, despite being a, you know, a Cold War warrior and being backed by hardliners, decided he was going to talk to Samora and Michelle. And in fact, his advisors had to defend this in the press. But it was a pragmatic view that we have to talk to our adversaries. We have to work together on issues, at least where there's space to do so. And it was a major 
contributor to some of the Mozambique and uh, South African agreements that happened in the mid-80s, as well as helpful on Angola. So I, I think there's a lesson to be learned from that era about that relationship between Samara and Ronald Reagan. Zaneda, with President Biden in power, what do you think his strategy should be towards Mozambique? Let me pick first, uh, Jed, from something you and, and Nicole said about the relationship between the U.S. And, and, and Mozambique. I think because of those tensions created during the civil war, America has been very cautious on how to deal with Mozambique. And therefore, it has not really dared or adventured in the area of uh, good governance and human rights issues. If it does, it's not public. When it tried, it backfired. And it has, it has strategically positioned itself on something else that is very important for Mozambique and that has somehow forced Mozambique to respect America for that. That's health, education, culture, especially health. The amount of money that USAID puts on the health system in Mozambique is incredible. We are talking about the entire fight against HIV being financed by America. And when we talk about HIV in Mozambique, we're talking about one of the largest affected countries in the world. So, so, so I think Mozambique has that to thank to the U.S. And, and, and because of that, both countries have managed to keep this uh, good space for conversation. But times have changed, and Mozambique as well has changed and very fast. I think we all agree on that one. That from the problems we used to talk about in Mozambique, including, for example, development issues, poverty, climate change, we are now talking about terrorism and counter-terrorism operations. And I think uh, the opportunity America has here is that as a leader on that fight globally, it has the opportunity to come closer to Mozambique and uh, assist whenever it's possible to to reduce the pain of uh, the people that have been displaced by this uh, crisis, to make sure that the right policies to relocate people and to later bring them back to their territory are respected, to make sure that human rights are respected by both the non-state players and the Mozambican government, but also not forget that uh, the issue of extremism in Mozambique is not the only problem. Unfortunately, it came on top of many others. I mentioned uh, climate change is another huge problem that Mozambique has. It's a country that can be hit by two, three cyclones in a year. And uh, those are recurrent problems. People keep moving. People are are permanent displaced people in this country. And that's another area where I think the Biden administration can uh, start building a relationship with the Mozambican government. I know America, especially with this government, is very much interested in focusing on climate change. And uh, I think Mozambique is one of those countries that has been highly affected by it. Uh, also has an opportunity here to strengthen a partnership with uh, the U.S. and learn that first how to deal with those uh, changes in the weather, but also how to make sure that the people impacted by it uh, very quickly to recover and uh, to adapt whenever it is necessary. All right, I'm, I'm going to give my thoughts on how you make that happen. So first... I think we need to assess the internal dynamics in Mozambique. Zenaida and I have talked about this before, but you know, President Nusi 
talks a good talk. And many of the things he says on some of the biggest challenges in Mozambique would be quite welcomed in Washington and in other capitals. But he struggles with his broader party and the military. And so I think we need to be careful when we, we hear President Nussi say something and then he's not able to deliver and understand why that is. And then think about some of those internal structures if we want to get to a better place on some of these challenges. The second point, and it's related, is there's an opportunity here for both U.S. cooperation with global partners and South-South cooperation. Uh, we're seeing that right now with SADC as South Africa and other neighbors are very concerned about what's happening in Cabo Delgado. But I would also point out that when there was the cyclones, uh, the Indians responded, other powers in the world. And I think we could be doing a lot more working with partners who care about the Indian Ocean, who are concerned about the negative effects of climate change and concerned about the instability in northern Cabo Delgado as potential partners here. That probably gets us to Zenaida's point, which is we can't let CT be the end-all be-all of this relationship. We have to be more thoughtful about the relationship between ISIS and the insurgency. It's not a, a relationship where one controls the other. It's a dialectic. There's a dialogue. We need to think about development and how do we address the underlying drivers, which is something that USAID is already doing, but I think we can redouble it and we need to be conscientious of the problems with the FTO designation. Finally, on climate, I'll say something a little bit controversial, which is we need to, to think about the adverse effects of climate change in Mozambique, but also recognize that LNG will be one of the ways that they are going to have energy in this country. And right now, that's going to present a tension for the Biden administration, but we're going to have to think about it both in Mozambique and in other countries. So Zenaida, if you had one big idea, crazy idea, what would you say? I, I'm not sure if it's a good idea or if it's a warning sign. That when discussing uh, CT, I suppose CT is counterterrorism. Yeah, that's the big language that the Americans use when discussing those is counterterrorism. Yes, counterterrorism. Uh, sorry. That uh, both countries, but especially the U.S., should not forget that the involvement of ISIS in the Mozambican conflict doesn't change the internal dynamics, as you said. Although there is a claimed involvement of this big and large group internationally, you also have to remember that those that who are fighting inside Mozambique are largely Mozambican youth who have uh, been affected by the, the whole problems that the country has, problems that have not been addressed until today. So when looking at strategies to address the problem, one should not just only focus on the fighting per se, but also now to address uh, the development issues in northern Mozambique, the tribal tensions that may exist, the religion exclusion that people might feel, and uh, more important, the, the grievances and the sense of distress that you, you keep finding among the, the youth in that province. I think it is important at this stage to to understand why is it that uh, a large group of youth in Cap Delgado have chosen to, instead of being part of the so-called development projects in the province, they have instead chose to uh, grab guns and go and uh, kill and destroy in the villages that they have been brought up. 
all these years. So those are dynamics that need to be understood. The sooner the better before any any strategy is put in place. And again, I, I, we should never, never forget that better than any policymaker or any international relations expert is the people of Cap Delgado of Northern Mozambique that will be able to say what and when they want the changes to happen. Thanks, Zenaida. Your reporting on this has been really key for policymakers, I think, all over the globe. So turning to the attempt to win hearts and minds that you mentioned, and maybe even mouths, if one of our listeners wanted to experience a legit Mozambican meal, what should they try, whether it's from the northern province or anywhere else? Okay, I'll pick one from the northern part. That will be northern central, that will be Mukapata, which is a mix of coconut milk with uh, local bean and the rice. So you make it like a porridge, and then you eat it with uh, what we call Zambezian chicken, which is a grilled chicken marinated in uh, coconut milk. I can see your mouth already feel like eating it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If you haven't had Mozambican food, you are missing out. <laughs> now, and then from, from, from the south, I think the best, best thing to taste is the, is the local made prawns. Or shrimps, yeah. Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.